for you and I sitting here, we are blessed because of this story. And so I want us to consider a couple things as we look at this today. The first is, being good is not enough. The second is, just look at the conversion of Cornelius and also the, Cornelius of Pe- or the conversion of Peter. And then I want us to look at what does this story teach us about non-Christian religions. The fourth is what does this story teach us about the Holy Spirit. And then what does this teach us about the church. The first thing, being good or being religious is not enough. I found that as I have talked with people Most people have an idea that as long as they are good enough, or as long as they do more good than bad, that somehow that's going to get them into heaven. The idea is there's this big scale up in heaven, and the more good you do, and the less bad you do, will tip the scale so that God will look at you when you get to the gates of heaven, he'll look at the scale and go, oh, more good than bad, guess come on in. Well done. But the Bible teaches otherwise. See, God's standard is holiness. Perfect holiness. Perfect righteousness. No sin is allowed. One sin, no matter how small it is, makes us not holy. And no amount of good that we do can make up for the fact that we are not righteous to God's standard. Or think of it as uh, if I had a glass of water here, filtered water, I'd give it to you, you guys would all drink it. But if I put poison in it, it would be contaminated water. Doesn't matter how much water is there, it would be contaminated. And before you drink it, you would want it to be transformed, changed, cleansed, renewed. God is holy. And no sin can exist in his presence. So what hope is there for us? Well, if it's simply up to us, there is no hope at all. But this is exactly where grace and mercy come in. God is the one who punishes sin and is also the one who pays the penalty for our sin. He did this all through Jesus Christ, who offered himself as a sacrifice for us. He died in our place. He paid the penalty for our sins so that we can now have peace with God. Because God offers to us Christ's righteousness. What Christ did for us, Christ was perfect. Christ was holy. And he died in our place. And he offers to us his righteousness as a gift. And we receive it by faith. And when we do that, God doesn't look at us and see all our sin. Rather, we use the term clothed in Christ's righteousness. It's as if God gives us this robe and we wrap it around us so when God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that is the blessed story of God's grace and God's mercy. And it's the gift that he offers to everyone. And this is the story that we've read today. It's the story of the conversion of Cornelius, the first Gentile convert. And so to a certain extent, it's also the conversion of Peter, not becoming a Christian, but his understanding that God's grace is for everyone, not just the Jews. 
Every, up until that time, everyone who was a convert was Jewish. Jesus is Jewish. The disciples are Jewish. All the people who were believing were Jewish. And now you come to Cornelius. And that's why this story is so important. And Luke records it in such detail. You see, being good is not enough. Being religious is not enough. And God knows that. And so God is at work in Cornelius' life, but he's also at work in Peter's life. And in this story, we see how God was dealing with Cornelius and bringing him to himself, but we also see how God was breaking down Peter's deep-seated racial intolerance. In the previous chapter, Peter had boldly faced the challenges of sickness and death, but how will he now respond to the challenge of racial and religious discrimination? Cornelius is not Jewish. He's a Roman soldier. Now, it does describe him as God-fearing, gives generously to those in needs, and he prays. He is, what we would say, very religious. But he's still a Gentile, an outsider, excluded from God's covenant with Israel. Now, in the Old Testament, it was clear that God had a purpose for all nations and that all nations were going to be blessed And God chose to bless one nation who in turn would then bless all the nations of the world, the nation of Israel. And the Psalms and the prophets foretold the day when the Messiah would come and God would pour out his spirit on all humanity. And the tragedy was this, that Israel twisted the doctrine of election into one of favoritism and became filled with racial pride and hatred, and despised the Gentiles and would call the Gentiles dogs. And they developed traditions which kept them forever separated. No Orthodox Jew would ever enter the home of a Gentile, even a God-fearer. And this was the entrenched prejudice which had to be overcome before the Gentiles would, could be admitted into the Christian community. And so God spoke to Peter in a way that he would understand. And so Peter goes to Cornelius' house and he enters it. For us, that's not a big deal. But for Peter and Cornelius, that is enormous. That is huge. It is transformative. And because of God working in his life, he was able to break with the traditional taboo of entering a Gentile's home. Because God had shown him that no one is to be called unclean in his sight. And so when Peter gets there, Cornelius bows down to worship and and he says, Hey, I am just like you, a mere mortal. Don't worship me. And he refused to treat Cornelius as a dog. And so Peter begins this message with this profound statement. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. The emphasis is that, in this story, is that Cornelius' Gentile nationality was acceptable so that he didn't need to become a Jew in order to then accept the grace and mercy of God. There is no racial barrier to salvation. This is... The same gospel message that goes to the Jews and the Gentiles. The gospel message of Jesus Christ. 
It's about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And that is the universal message of the gospel to everyone, everywhere, at all times. And so then Peter is preaching this, and while he's preaching, the Holy Spirit comes on the people, and they receive the Holy Spirit, the gift of God, when they hear the message and they believe. And Peter says, God has accepted them, we must accept them. And so they are baptized. The symbol of welcoming them into the family of God. And Peter says, since God has already welcomed them through the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, we must welcome them too. So, what does this teach us about non-Christian religions? Well, Luke describes Cornelius as a devout, God-fearing man who gave generously to those in need and prayed regularly. He is religious. But what we see because of that is, that is not enough. For this devout, God-fearing, upright, sincere, and generous man still needed to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, to repent and to believe in Jesus. And only then did God's grace save him. And he hears about Jesus. He believes and he receives the forgiveness of sins, new life, and the gift of the Holy Spirit. This message is for all people everywhere at all times. For there is no other name under heaven given among people which will by, whereby we must be saved. So what's this teach us about the Holy Spirit? It teaches us that the Holy Spirit is for everyone, not just a select few. It's not just for the Jews who believe. It is for everyone who believes. And the gift of the Holy Spirit is the gift of God. There is nothing we can do to earn receiving the Holy Spirit or merit it or to buy it, God himself pours out the Holy Spirit into all who believe. That means if you believe, you have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. So to a certain extent, start acting like it. Don't think of yourself as less of a Christian because of where you grew up, what school you went to, your nationality, anything. We are all equal in the sight of God. And so the Holy Spirit isn't just for a select few believers. It is for everyone. For everyone who believes is sealed with the Holy Spirit. It is the gift of God. And what's this say about the church? Well, the fundamental emphasis of this story is that since God does not show favoritism, neither can we. Since God does not show Partiality, neither can we. This is a simple truth, a profound truth. But unfortunately, the church has never learned the truth of its own unity and the equality of all of its members. Peter, a couple chapters later, you're going to read, all of a sudden, He's influenced by the Jewish believers and so when he's in Antioch, he won't go and fellowship with the believers in Antioch and Paul has to confront him and say, dude, what are you doing? Don't you remember Cornelius? And as we look at the book of Acts, we look at the New Testament, we look at all of church history, the ugly sin of discrimination keeps reappearing over and over and over again. John Stott, the great British churchman, wrote, 
Whether racism, nationalism, tribalism, casteism, sexism, or social and cultural snobbery, all such discrimination is inexcusable. And in the church, it is both an obscenity, it is offensive to human dignity, and it is a blasphemy. It is offensive to God who accepts without discrimination all who repent and believe. Now, I am a Gentile. And I thought I wouldn't have the problem with discrimination. And I have to live out this faith and not show favoritism and discrimination. But I confess, and I thought about this, when we go on mission projects, when we go and help those who are needy, our church, we go down to Rocky Point and we help needy people in Mexico. Or we go up to the Navajo at Naomi House. Or we help the children without shoes at San Marcos School. Or we help the hungry in Chandler via Matthew's Crossing. My problem is I see people as needy. I don't see them as full members of the church of Jesus Christ. And all people who believe are part of the church of Jesus Christ. All people who believe have received the Holy Spirit. And God does not show favoritism. And I pray that I won't as well. We need to make sure as the church of Jesus Christ to welcome all people everywhere at all time. When people have put their faith in Jesus Christ, God is the one who welcomes them. And if God welcomes them, we better as well. We are here to proclaim the Christian faith. And I encourage you to pray that you will live it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is to know of your love and to be part of your church. To be part of your church not because of anything we have done or where we grew up or who we know except that we know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But we know Jesus because you have revealed him to us. And you are the one who loves us and you are the one who loves all people everywhere at all times and you are unwilling for any to perish. And so, Lord, help us to live this gospel truth. Lord, it is so hard for sin is all around us and it's within our own hearts. And so we discriminate. We show favoritism. We don't live up to your standard. But help us to love, Lord. Remind us of your grace. Let us show your mercy one to another. And so bring honor and glory to your name. This is our hope and our prayer, and we pray it in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen.